Mainstream lenders are no doubt here to stay, but it does not mean we're not seeing a variety of lenders in the financial market. The question for this podcast is, what are the different types of lenders and how do they differ from alternative lenders? Are these lenders here to seek the interest of consumers? Most importantly, for vulnerable consumers. Welcome to Dead Talk Podcast with me, your host, Ripon Ray. This month's podcast is on alternative lending and debt. To navigate this month's episode, I have Gareth Evans, co-director of Financial Inclusion Centre, a not-for-profit charity. I've also Sam Nurse, CEO of Money Advice Hub and Zeus Design Hub, who has been championing putting the debt advice sector on equal footing with the lenders market. My panelists are also to provide debt talk listeners with top tips for those who are thinking of approaching alternative lenders just before Christmas and, of course, what to look out for. For those who are listening to debt talk and want to share your experience or want to listen to a subject of your choice, you can send me an email ripon.ray at yourdoctordebt.com or on Twitter, yourdoctordebt. Before we get to the details of today's subject, let me um, get the basics out of the way. To assist me with this, let me ask Gareth. In simple terms, tell me about the meaning of lending within the context of credit, either consumer or business, Gareth. I think the first thing I always say when we're talking about credit is that it's inherently not a bad thing um unless you are a very lucky person and you you're, you're wealthy enough not to need credit throughout your lifetime borrowing is an important element throughout anybody's lifetime right from when you want to go to uh, through education or to get onto the property ladder it should be seen as a beneficial positive uh, potential that everybody has access to to credit and so that importance around access to credit is, is really important, whether you're buying a house or buying a washing machine. And so it's often those on the lowest incomes um, that are sometimes seen as less deserving of credit, or that the, the particularly our work um, focuses in on. And so, you know, I mean, that need for consumer credit um, and borrowing where, where you maybe need to purchase something or that, that's beyond your immediate means, it's an easy way to split that cost over a number over a period of time so that you're able to to obtain that service or that that product but in what way credit industry is divided within the context of let's say other sector and how important is this sector in the british economy so i guess you can cut it many ways but the way that we look at it is if you've got sort of mainstream credit which is delivered by the banks, the building societies, you know, I mean, the personal loans, the credit cards, those type of sort of mainstream access to credit. And then the sort of alternative market encapsulates a whole host of um, elements, goods, some not so good. So you put prime lending, that's your high cost. Um, credit that's you know been in the in the news for, for all the wrong reasons over the last sort of couple of decades and that covers sort of things like you know i mean payday loans high cost short-term credit doorstep lending those type of um elements and we've got about 
you know, I mean, three to five million people household borrowing uh, from high cost lenders each year, subprime lending. And then that sort of alternative lending um, covers a, a whole multitude of elements. So you've got everything from sort of peer to peer lending, uh, but then you've got the sort of the recent um, developments all around the sort of non regulated wage advance um, sector, the buy now, pay later. Um, sector that's that's really really prominent um, in terms of discussions at the moment, and then what we call sort of community finance, this sort of part of the market where it's delivered by not for profit um, lenders such as credit unions, such as things called CDFIs, community development finance institutions, um, and so you know I mean that's the whole spectrum. But you know, I mean how important is it to the to the UK economy? You've got like one thousand eight hundred. 846 billion owed by UK um, individuals, households, um, which is a huge amount, which is about £65,000 per household when you include mortgages and about 4000 when you're talking about unsecured debt per UK household. We are also seeing mainstream lenders closing down branches due to financial reasons. And many of these banks would argue that the appetite for using local branches is no longer there. What is your take on this? I think that is definitely a picture that we've been seeing um, as more and more um, banking services go online. We've become more used to accessing um, our, our banking services um, digitally through apps or, or through telephones. That sort of, I guess, demand for for physical access to um to banks and and, and the branches uh, will continue to decline and become a growing issue within our communities and we'll get these areas where there's a banking desert where there's just no services where people can can access but i think the, the key element is it's hugely important that we protect those services there's there's certain groups within communities that are especially reliant on those physical um, presence. So, you know, I mean, older, older, older um, communities, older, older people being um, being a key one. But in terms of a lot of the banking services and and, and being able to to interact with those, it's really especially important in those sort of more rural communities or, or, or smaller towns and cities. So, I think the, the need to protect that's really really important. Um, but there are some great examples of. of banking hubs that are starting to, to spring up and utilising innovation and open banking and, and technology. Um, but we can't get away from the fact that we need greater responsibility um, on banks and, and other financial institutions to protect that banking services so that we don't have any communities or any particular um, sections of, of, of our society that are left without access. We are heading towards another Christmas and the legal lending team are already speaking about the risk of vulnerable communities seeking illegal lenders because many low income households can't make ends meet and may not have access to mainstream lenders. What is your take on this? What we've seen over the last few years is a, um, a tightening of regulation around the subprime market. And you've seen big names withdraw from the market, um, be they Wonga, Bright House, and the provident in the home collective market. And so that has put pressure on, um, on on households and where they can obtain funding from. And so there's a growing use of illegal sources, the loan sharks. Um, there's um, an estimated 1.1 million people who borrow from illegal sources each year. 
And so when you get to a practical level, we've just done some work in, in Luton, looking at the scale of this. And we estimate that there's about 3,730 households in debt to a loan shark each year, which is a huge proportion. And so, yeah, when, when things like Christmas come around, the, the, the need um, and potential to, to, to borrow from high cost sources and illegal lending is, is really, really prominent. And so, the, you know, I mean, the cost of doing that is, is, is huge. So when we're talking about borrowing from um, sort of high cost prime markets, the idea of borrowing a £600 loan over six months, um, we're talking about repaying um, about 500 to, 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 to 300 pounds in interest alone, which is a huge amount of money to be um, paying back in, in interest. And so those more alternative sources, such as credit unions, are, are a really good source of fair um, credit, um, more affordable credit. And so that 600 pound loan over six months, instead of costing a few hundred pounds, it's going to cost approximately five pounds. And so you can see the huge differential in um, the cost to some of the sort of more financially vulnerable, low, lower income um, households in the country. So it's really, really important we divert people away from those high cost sources and those illegal sources within our communities. What can Parliament can do to make this easier for vulnerable communities to have access to mainstream and alternative lending? So... Government have continued to support uh, this community finance sector. So at the moment, we've got something called Fair for All Finance uh, that's supported by um, government. And that's really trying to support um, the, the, the alternative sector and increase the availability uh, so we can deliver greater scale and this greater awareness um, around that. So, so government is doing things and there's been recent changes, for example, to regulation that's helping credit unions and freeing up um, their ability to serve greater numbers of people. But and then, you know, I mean, there is a need to regulate some of that buy now, pay later and that wage advance um, sector. Um, and also in the in, in the US, they've got something called the Community uh, Reinvestment Act that requires financial institutions to really help meet the credit needs of underserved communities where they do business. So something like that um, would really, really um, be a step change in 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 delivery and protection and, and, and access uh, for vulnerable, vulnerable consumers in the UK. Your passion lies in the credit union industry. According to the Association of Buddhist Credit Union, there are 245 credit unions in England, Scotland and Wales. And there are over 1.4 million people using credit unions. How does credit union differ from mainstream lenders? I've been a huge champion of the credit union sector for about 20 years now, and I just think that they have a huge, important role to play in providing access to financial services, especially for those most financially excluded. And the key difference, yeah, they're mutually owned. So every single person who uh, saves with a credit union or, or borrows from a credit union has a say in, in how they're run and has a, a, a stake in, in their ownership. They're not for profit, so all the profits get out back into the running of the service or shared amongst the members in terms of return on their savings. They're often local, so they keep money within local communities and they serve everyone. So often they're sort of geographically based, so they live anybody who lives or works in a certain areas. Um, so no matter you know I mean, what your, your financial circumstances. 
They're there to encourage savings and provide a, a range of other banking services. Um, in particular, you know, I mean, they do offer a, a, a range of loans. And the key elements of the, the credit union type lending is they offer uh, everything from really tiny loans right up to a couple of thousand pounds. They're really fair and affordable in terms of the interest, but also really importantly, the amount somebody repays. It's a real alternative to, to sort of high cost, but also a, um, an, an option for people um, who are just looking for um, a, a source of credit that should be considered. They're very personable in terms of being um, based upon your individual circumstances and so not just a credit score, but looking at your full picture. And you can make um, repayments via a number of different mechanisms. So some of the employment credit unions offer payroll deduction where it's taken from your salary. And a lot of credit unions are moving into uh, being able to repay via uh, people's benefits. So again, really powerful in terms of providing access to, to low cost, low income um, households. And importantly, they're hugely popular. So at the Financial Inclusion Centre, we did a, a recent uh, piece of research we surveyed 7,500 credit union borrowers in seven different credit unions, and 97% said they were extremely or very satisfied with the borrowing they'd received. So they're really, really important um, aspects of, of our financial services um, environment. I mean, we have a situation uh, where the credit union is more successful in places like the US compared to the UK. I mean, for example, um, there are nearly 5,000 credit unions in the U US. Um, but at the same time, we are seeing a number of credit unions in the UK are going bust. Now, what are the main reasons for that happening? I think in the UK, we, about approximately 2% of the population are members of credit unions. So, But around the world, membership membership is huge um and the sector rivals the mainstream banks so ireland the caribbean the us like you indicate about a third of the population um, to, to half the population are members of a credit union so what, what why is that in the uk and much of it's around historic issues we've, had, we've always had a large mutual sector in the uk and really the credit union sector has only developed in the last 50 years or so mainly through immigration. So as sort of Irish and Caribbean communities have come into the credit union, they brought what, uh, what the, you know, I mean, the credit union ethos and, and brought that here. And some, some element of that sort of limitation is also being restricted by regulation on the size of um, the credit union and the product offers. But there's, there's elements around that. And the point around, you know, I mean, the declining numbers of credit unions in the UK, we've definitely seen a reduction in the numbers. Much of this is down to sort of mergers between credit unions the sort of need for economies of scale creating better and bigger credit unions but yeah there are each year a handful that um that that go into administration and some of that is around sort of some of them are very small and um, volunteer run but it's actually really quite a challenging environment at the moment to operate um in the lending market there's increasing operational costs um there's you know i mean majority of sort of the, the profit is generated through um through lending and therefore sort of higher declines that we're seeing smaller short-term loans um higher defaults it's all creating a picture but i think the most important thing to uh, emphasize is credit unions are regulated and covered by the, the, the regulated by the 
the Financial Conduct Authority, and that means that all their services and, and money is protected by the Financial Services Compensation Scheme. So any money that's in a credit union is 100% protected in terms of people's savings up to the £80,000 um, limit. With any lenders, either credit union or otherwise, where does supporting customers in financial struggle play a part? So I think it's got a huge part to play. All financial institutions and lenders um, should be not only doing it because it's the right thing, but also because there's a regulatory requirement on them to do so. Treating customers fairly has been in, uh, around for a long time um, and, and has seen regulators step in in certain markets, such as the payday loan and the higher purchase um, scheme. But with technology and open banking, not only should we be requiring lenders to make better decisions at the outset, but I think we really need to be looking at identifying when people are struggling and maybe encouraging and, um, and, and requiring intervention to provide that support. And so that with the new consumer duty that's being implemented by the FCA, it should mean uh, that everybody gets the support they need when they need it and that communications around financial services are understandable and the products and services um, are fair um, and, and, and meet consumers' needs. So I think there's a real opportunity to make sure um, that we address some of the, the vulnerabilities within financial services um, as part of that. Thank you, Gareth. Um, let me get Sam Nurse, CEO of Money Advice Hub and Zeus Design Hub, into the conversation. Uh, based on what you've heard so far from Gareth, Sam, what are your thoughts so far? Um, hello, Ripon. Hello, Gareth. I just wanted to concur with Gareth that credit isn't an inherent, inherently bad thing, um, but it, it has to be responsible and affordable credit that we're talking about. With regard to the credit union um, agenda, the Financial Conduct Authority have made it very clear that they're very supportive of credit unions. And in fact, there was a major change in the regulations earlier this year, which allowed more consumer products in the portfolio of credit unions. So they can now offer conditional sale agreements and higher purchase agreements, which completely changes the products that they've got um, on offer. And the FCA made it very clear that they see a massive role for credit unions in dealing with the crisis that we're in with the energy crisis, the cost of living crisis, and, and certainly during the pandemic, because there is a dual purpose here. They have to support the credit unions and make sure the regulations match um, what we're expecting credit unions to do. But also there's been the caps on the payday lenders that have been introduced in the regulation, which make it more difficult for people to access credit um, in that market, which is not a bad thing, but we still need to have accessible credit lines available to people that are struggling. Your organisation is at the forefront of dealing with challenges from mainstream and alternative lenders. What patterns have you noticed from the perspective of debt advice sector during the cost of living crisis? Um, definitely since the cost of living crisis and before that in the COVID pandemic, we saw some different different trends. Some of those have not particularly sprung out of the COVID pandemic, but are because of people's greater awareness of 
their credit rating and whether they can access credit in the future. So what we've seen is a growing trend of people not wanting our traditional debt advice where we say you're in debt, you can't afford your debts, you need a write-off debt solution. So a lot of the, the consumers that we're speaking to don't want that. They want interventions and other options available to them so that they can keep their lines of credit. Because quite frankly, nowadays, they need the flexibility of credit lines just to live. And that's the stark reality of the situation. So credit is um, necessary. Um, it's also necessary in society to get anywhere, to buy a home, as Gareth said, and also to be enterprising. So we need credit to start businesses up, um, buy materials to, to make things for consumers to buy. Um, it, makes, it makes the world go round, does credit. Within the context of recovery of debts from alternative lenders and mainstream lenders, is there a difference in behaviour that you've noticed? There is a slight difference, yes. So because of the pressure on of the Financial Conduct Authority on the mainstream lenders, what we've seen is some credit throttling, as I call it, um, where the overdraft limits start to reduce and the credit card limits start to reduce to bring about more responsible lending and responsible borrowing. So that's happening in the mainstream industry. In the short-term credit and alternative lending industry, um, witnessing really still bad practices. So instead of interventions that would be financial education and looking at debt solutions, they're more likely to offer another loan to someone. There are some restrictions with rollover loans, but um, I don't see as good practice in the alternative lending market than I do in the mainstream lenders. Definitely seen a, a, a definite change since the FCA um, started putting pressure on for the, the limits to be driven down for borrowing. We have noticed that there has been uh, an increase in uh, illegal lenders. Um, how do the debt advice sector identify illegal lenders and how do you, how do advisors deal with such debts? Well, I think different debt advisors might say different things about this. And I would call on a really good paper that was issued in April 2023 by the Centre for Social Justice called Friend or Foe. It's a marvellous paper. It's aimed at debt advisors and it looks at the problems in our industry of some debt advisors not really understanding illegal lending. To me, um, I could identify it quite easily. It's usually when people have extortionate credit, very high credit. There seems to be no end to the credit. It rolls on, it adds on. Um, the debt grows and there's some level of intimidation or violent threats towards a person. There's a distinct lack of paperwork. And um, personally, when you're interviewing someone, if, if they can't account for some money when you're doing their income and expenditure that usually means that they're giving money to someone that they don't uh, want you to know about so that is that that's an issue as well. Gareth briefly spoke about buy now pay later but in terms of buy now pay later and its debt recovery where do they fit in within wider debt recovery knowing that they provide products such as beds and sofas? Well, they do provide products like that, but there are alternatives to consumers if they come to a debt advice organisation with income maximisation. Sometimes there are grant funds that are 
available to people to buy products like that. Um, but the, the lenders themselves, um, they can sometimes be hidden um, in a, a person's debt situation. So I go back to my point at the front end where I was talking about responsible credit and affordability. If you don't explore a person's situation well enough and those buy now, pay laters may not show on the credit report, then somebody might get into the habit of borrowing more money and that might um, escalate out of control until they can't manage that debt any further. I also like to make sure that I promote um, the use of budgeting loans and the universal credit advance loan because those are loans to purchase goods like that with no interest charges. So um, the buy now, pay later sector is, is very popular. It can work very well for certain people, um, but it can be a sign of somebody starting to get out of control with their debts. Um, I also draw on the new legislation for the, the credit unions in the fact that they can offer different products now and, and they might be a really competitive um, element to that market if they start issuing those products to their members. So kind of going back to credit union, in terms of credit unions that we are, we've hovered around, is there different from that and other lenders that we speak about in terms of recovery? There are several differences, but it, um, like Gareth said, it depends on the nature of the credit agreement. So there are some um, secured elements to credit union borrowing. Um, but also um, you asked a question about what credit unions do um, to educate people. It is part of their objectives to be uh, a credit union. It isn't just an FCA thing per se. It's actually an objective in a credit union um, to encourage thrift uh, which is an old-fashioned word uh, for um, being good with your money, um, but also uh, to educate people and work through situations where there's financial difficulties. So there's much more of an emphasis in trying to resolve any issues with unpaid debt or unmanaged loans. There's also an element of flexibility as well. So because of the usual savings plus a loan, uh, in the membership, there can be some flexibility with reducing payments for extending them. That is often not available with other forms of credit, even with bank loans, it's sometimes very difficult to extend loans. Um, so credit unions have more of a objective to educate and offer flexible, sorry, <laughs> flexible um, products that are going to suit their community members. Speaking about wider issues, uh, what is the debt advice sector seeing within the diversity of communities that are indebted? What we're seeing at the moment with um, is the disparity between um, poverty. Um, there are people out there that are on very low incomes, um, but can't access credit that is affordable because of the interest rates. And that's a big problem in society as a whole and needs to be addressed. It's not just a poverty issue, it's about the unfairness of, of credit, but credit is calculated on an element of risk. Um, and if you're on a low income, you've got greater risk. So there's not much to be done about that, apart from supporting um, schemes like credit unions run 
for people to be educated to to access them. And one of the very positive things about um, the credit reference agencies, which do act as credit brokers, I'm not sure I agree with that, but they do. Um, and one of the positive things about those is that they are now offering credit union products. So it's not just about pushing the big guns of the mainstream stream lenders or the, the high cost products. They are actually promoting credit union products as well, which is, is quite heartening, really. I mean, my last two podcast was on the cost of fuel. Um, and uh, what is your thought on fuel debt within wider debt sector? Um, well, we're seeing a massive rise in it. It's a big problem for everyone. Um, I know from my own bill, it's trebled since <laughs> the costs have gone up. It's, it's more than my my mortgage. Um, it's, it's a huge cost for people and people are really, really struggling. And those likely to be more disadvantaged and have health disabilities, I worry for them because sometimes it exacerbates their health um, condition, not putting heating on. Um, there are certain things that people can do so they can um, get energy fuel vouchers from charities and organisations such as Money Advice Hub to help them uh, with those costs. But also really what's happening is, and this happens quite a lot when things go up, essential bills go up um, and people have to juggle where they spend their money. And they will juggle it accordingly to who shouts the loudest. And sometimes that can force credit that we wouldn't normally recommend paying first back. Um, but I would say some people will not pay their rent arrears or their rent to pay their electric because that's their priority. They need it for their health. They need to heat their home. It's a very big problem that we have at the moment. And... I don't have all the answers to it apart from government needs to intervene continually and more so than it is already. Um, I'm very discouraged with the fact that you can't fix a deal without in them insisting that you have a smart meter. And one of the reasons for that is it might be great, the smart meter, but we also get the other side of it where people have complaints that are not resolved. I have one client who had a faulty smart meter. It was fitted faulty. And three years later, it's still faulty. And even though the ombudsman ruled against the energy provider, the energy provider has not compensated the client or resolved the situation. And there's no legal redress other than going through the civil courts. And, and that's a real worry to me. Thank you. Um, Sam, um, for those who are listening to Debt Talk podcast and you want to share your experience or want to hear a subject of your choice, you can get in touch with me, ripon.ray at yourdoctordebt.com or Twitter, yourdoctordebt. Let me go back to my panellists who are to provide Debt Talk listeners with top debts for those who are thinking of approaching alternative lenders just before Christmas and what to look out for. Let me start with Gareth Evans. First and foremost, can you avoid the need to borrow in the first place? That is the first point. Um, look at your finances, see where you can make savings. If you are struggling, struggling already, then credit is not always the answer. And so you should be looking to get access to free specialist independent debt advice from 
either locally or nationally through people like Step Change, National Money Line. So that's the first thing. Second, check your benefit entitlement. There's over 8 million people who are missing out on 19 billion pounds of unclaimed benefits. And you would be surprised both who is eligible for those benefits. So if you haven't checked or you're, you know, I mean, you haven't checked for a while, do that. Go on to somebody like the Money Helper website, put your information in there. It's really simple. And you will, you know, I mean, be probably surprised at what you should be claiming. Um, and then I think Sam pointed to this as well. If you are struggling, again, check out whether there's a grant available rather than a loan. So check your local council. There's things like household support funds, local welfare assistance schemes. If you're in utility debt, the, the big utility companies have um, trust funds that will um, do that. And then you can also look for a whole range of charitable trusts, um, grant funding on things like Turn to Us or Lightning Reach. And then once you've exhausted that, if you're only then considered, you know, I mean, only then consider borrowing. So do your research, look around, get the best deals, make sure it's affordable, not only in terms of your weekly or monthly payments, look at that total cost of credit that you're that you're paying. Definitely check out your um, community finance lenders. So go to find your credit union, type in your postcode, and that will show you where your nearest credit union is in the UK. And then make sure any lender you are look, um, looking to borrow from is regulated. It should have authorised and regulated by the FCA on the bottom of there. Check out it on the register to make sure that they are legit before you enter into anything. And just only borrow what you need. So as you say, you went to Christmas. Is it? Do you really need to spend all that money? Are, you know, I mean, really, really take on only what you really need if you are borrowing. So they will be my key things to look out for. Lovely, Gareth. And finally, Sam. I think uh, Gareth has said most things I would say. I'll try to add to the list. Um, as I mentioned before, look into the DWP loans. So if you're on a qualifying benefit, you might be able to get a budget loan or a universal credit advance loan. Interest free. It is kind of secured because it's going to come out of your benefit and repayments, but it's a lot cheaper than uh, any other loan because it's interest free. Um, workers such as the NHS can um, opt for a salary advance. Um, that might be useful near Christmas. So if you are employed, you can have a look at salary advances. Um, don't be afraid to buy things secondhand. Um, I was a big lover of doing this when I was raising my children. Everyone used to say, how come your kids have got all those toys, Sam? And it was because I was buying and selling them on a major auction site, <laughs> not to be named. Um, um, and, and it's a really good way of um, keeping toys going if you've got children. Um, as Gareth said, avoid any dodgy uh, lenders. If you do have trouble with um, an illegal lending situation or a loan shark, you should contact the illegal lending team confidentially, um, no pressure. Um, the first thing that you should do. Um, a little bit of advice for debt advisors coming out of that wonderful report that the Centre for Social Justice did. Um, was to make direct referrals if we identify illegal lending to the illegal lending unit and also when we're preparing standard financial statements to list it and tick it 
as that person receiving support with the illegal lending debt. Um, for people out there approaching Christmas, use my usual rule, which is give me 10 reasons why I should buy that. Um, it's surprising how many things you can talk yourself out of buying uh, when you use that mantra. And also, if you think about it um, carefully, you don't have to borrow money. Sometimes you can budget better. So as Gareth said, looking for income maximization, benefit entitlements, um, seeing if there's a grant out there. A lot of professions have benevolent funds um, that are attached to them that you can apply for um, important stuff. Um, but do your best to work out your budget the best you can to get any disposable income. If you don't have disposable income, you shouldn't be borrowing money. And if you want to know what you're going to be um, paying back, look at the principal sum that you've borrowed and times your payments by the duration of the borrowing. And you'll be quite shocked at how much you're actually paying back. And it, it's quite a leveler when you consider whether you really need to borrow money and buy that purchase. Thank you. And I would like to thank again um, to Gareth and to Sam for giving your time, precious time, to speak on the subject alternative lending and debt. My next podcast is going to be on housing costs and homelessness. And I want to finish off with the episode by stating that Debt Talk has been running for nearly a year and a half and has been in the UK and globally. It would not have been successful or possible without excellent panelists like yourself who gave your precious time and shared your valuable knowledge. So thank you for listening to Debt Talk Podcast with me as your host, Ripon Ray.